You're listening to a podcast from York City Church. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more, please visit our website at www.yorkcitychurch.org.uk. I know you've been talking about the book of Acts. It is, well, I think it's the best book in the Bible. It's certainly my favorite book. Um, Alan very kindly said, just talk about Paul's missionary journeys, which is like nine or ten chapters of the book. And I thought, um, how, how, do I, how do I do that? And so what I'd, like to, what I'd like to do this morning is talk about how the, that section of Acts really bookends with the church at Antioch and the church at Ephesus. So it all starts out of this church at a place called Antioch. And then it, it sort of culminates, the climax of, of all of Paul's missionary work is at Ephesus. So we'll look, you know, a bit more in depth at those two places. And between that, um, I, I'm just going to share a few thoughts about um, mission that I think are other things that Luke is doing in the way he presents these stories. Because I think Luke has given us these really vivid uh, stories, not just of individuals. I mean, we all know about Paul, the heroic missionary church planter who feels slightly unrelatable. Yeah, you kind of look at him and you go, this person is larger than life. But, but, but Luke is also giving us pictures of communities, of churches, and how they engage in mission, how they send, how they transform their cities, what they do. And so um, I, I want to look this morning because I think God has something for you as a church um, um, from, from, from these texts. So, for, and sorry for my PowerPoint. I, I, I went for a really over-the-top PowerPoint with fire and a dove and all this because honestly, Acts is just an over-the-top kind of a book. And so, you know, it, it works, I hope. Um, can we go to the next slide? I wanted to ask you first. So let's think together about the church at Antioch. Um, it's a key turning point for all sorts of reasons. And I'm assuming you'll be generally familiar uh, with this story, or at least a lot of us will. Does anybody, what do you think of that is distinctive or important about that church? If, if you want to just shout it out. Um, what, what's something that happens related to the church at Antioch that seems significant? What, what do you think of? What's that? Very good. The first place that people are called Christians. Yeah, that's interesting. And Luke makes, makes a point of that in the book of Acts, which, which I think is fascinating. Um, probably that term originally was like a term of derision or a making fun of, but essentially it's like saying, you're so like Christ, which is quite a, a badge of honor in some ways, I would think. So yeah, that's one thing that Acts does say about it. Very good. Anybody else know something or can think of something? Some of you are scrolling through your uh, Bibles. Yeah, very good. Very good. This is the first place that, that seems to try to do Jews and Gentiles in fellowship and community together. Um, we'll come back to some of these themes. Any, anyone else? 
What, what happens out of Antioch? What happens, kind of emerges out of this church in the book of Acts? Yeah, missionary journeys. Yeah, very good. Um, I want to I look at it a little more in depth now. Um, so, yeah, you, you, you've hit a number of the themes. Can we, can we have the next slide? So the first big one, and I think this is really important. Um, Luke says, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. So interestingly, uh, this church comes out of persecution and suffering and setback. They traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Personally, I think that this theme of multicultural church, of of I'm working, I was so thrilled to hear the story of yesterday and all these nations gathered together, um, um, fellowshipping in this place. I think if we want to ever impact the nations, we got to start by reaching and reaching the nations on our doorstep here. And, um, and I think it's a huge priority for the church. And I think there's something about learning about difference and diversity and multiculturalism that helps us become the kind of missional church and community that God has for us. So I actually think that's quite important. And it's, it's no coincidence that the first church that intentionally reaches Greeks and Gentiles is the church that sends out missionaries to do that all over the empire. You know, there's a direct connection there. Okay, uh, next slide. Um, yeah, they're first called Christians there. And I think, oh, there's so much we can say about this, but um, I think that speaks to the significant sort of profile and witness of this church in the wider city. And Antioch is a big city. It's a city of half a million people, which, uh, you know, by ancient standards is, is, is crazy. And, and, and yet, this, this church is making an impact there. Okay, next slide. So this is a fascinating uh, description. So um, we're jumping to Acts 13 now. It says, In the church in Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So first thing to say about this is there's this, uh, this leadership team of, of teachers and prophets who are leading the church, an empowered uh, group of of leaders. And then it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So there's this sense of devotion to the presence of God the, 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 the Greek literally means ministering to the Lord and fasting. This environment of prayer, this environment of, of the spiritual disciplines, and, and of listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, I love how Luke sort of casually says, and the Holy Spirit said, but they had created an environment in which the Holy Spirit 
could speak, you know, so powerfully. I, we don't know exactly how that happened or what that was like, but that this word set apart for me changes the whole history of, of, of the church's mission. But the point, I, I, I really feel this for you, especially kind of coming out of a, a season of being much more dispersed and coming back together, is devote yourself to the presence of God, to prayer, to worship, to fasting, to listening, to waiting, to being still. I liked how you took a little time this morning to be still, to be quiet. Um, this is the kind of environment that the Holy Spirit loves to speak into. And I think that there's a, a, a prophetic picture here. It's around the diversity of the congregation, the sense of following Christ, the empowered leadership team, the devotion to His presence through prayer, through worship, through fasting. That is when the Holy Spirit loves to speak. And so this picture of the church at Antioch I think could be significant for, for York City Church and for what God is wanting to do here. And uh, what's the next slide? Yeah, so, so the next verse, Acts 13, 3. Uh, it's interesting. They fast and they pray some more. <laughs> um, in response to this word, and personally, and I mean, I, I developed this in all sorts of ways in, 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 in the book, I don't think they had the first clue what it meant when, when the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul. There wasn't a precedent or a kind of established way to respond to that. What does it mean? So they fasted and they prayed some more, and then they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. And it's really hard to overstate what a turning point this was for the early church. If you think about it, up to this point, mission had been almost uh, incidental or accidental or as they went. So you can picture them maybe being scattered from persecution in Jerusalem. And it does say everywhere that they went, they were sharing with people the good news about Jesus. But this is the first time that we know about in the whole history of the Christian church where they intentionally say, we are laying hands on you, we are praying for you, and we are sending you out on mission. Go for it. <laughs> and um, so that, it's a real milestone. And I think in many ways, all of the ministries of sending and church planting, and I know things that this church has played a part in over the years and has a heart for, in many ways, it all stems back to this pivotal moment when they heard the Holy Spirit speak, they said yes to it, they laid on hands, they commissioned, and they sent them off. And of course, this is where, like, like you said, um, the missionary journeys, these great adventures, first um, Barnabas and Saul, and then of course there's many others, there's uh, Silas and... Um, many others that join Paul in three epic journeys that he takes planting churches. But this is intentional mission out of the local church. But I guess the, the, the key point I want to make here is that they had cultivated the right spiritual environment 
for the Spirit to speak so powerfully. They were ready to say yes. And when the Spirit spoke, they, they, they responded with obedience and with wholehearted abandon. And I just think there's something about, well, that expectation that the Spirit will speak here, but also creating that environment. It's like a passionate cauldron of uh, spiritual devotion to God's presence that generates the sort of faith. And I I believe, you know, maybe this is a prophetic word, maybe this is just a sense that I have that that there are you know, apostolic, missional key leaders to emerge from this place, from this congregation, and that they will emerge as this sort of uh, environment is cultivated here. So, something to ponder and be challenged by this picture of the church at Antioch. Um, next slide. Yeah, I, well, that's kind of what I, <laughs> it's kind of what I just said. Um, are we a church that equips and sends people out? Yes. How is our devotion to the presence of God? So I wanted to share just a few reflections about um, the, the, the journeys between, I mean, you could summarize this part of Acts as between Antioch and Ephesus. Because it all, and, and one of the other things about Antioch that I guess I should say is this is the home of, um, this is the home base for the mission. And it's quite fascinating that they get sent out, but they're always coming back. They're always returning and they're giving a report. In fact, it uses a Greek word which means to give a formal report of what had happened. And the church is praying for them and the church is interceding on their behalf and the church is celebrating with them the good things that God is doing in this groundbreaking mission to the Gentiles in various cities across the Roman Empire. And so Antioch continues to be a launching pad for mission uh, uh, all over the place. And not just in Paul, by the way, because if you remember, they, uh, Paul and Barnabas have this big disagreement. Yes, there's conflict and there's challenge in this story too. And Barnabas goes off with John Mark. And Paul takes Silas with him. And so there's other teams going out. Luke focuses on Paul for good reasons, but there's, there's a lot happening. And one of the really interesting themes that comes out of these missionary journeys as Paul does his mission work is that he focuses on people of influence. And I've listed um, five here. These are people, as he shows up in a new city or a new place, I mean, of course, he often goes to the synagogue or the Jewish place of prayer, which makes a lot of sense. But he's looking for people who will open up for him cities and areas to his message of the gospel. And he finds often really key people of influence. This has resonance, if you remember, in Luke 10. When Jesus sends out the 72, he says, you know, look for the people of peace. Look for the people who will receive you and your message. Um, And there was a whole lot we could say there. But I I just felt as I was preparing that... um, There are people of influence, gatekeepers, 
that God has for you as a church. And it's interesting, we always focus, and rightly so, on the poor and the marginalized and the disadvantaged. And that is, I mean, that's just fundamental to what it means to be Jesus' church, right? But I also think Acts is challenging us to think about influencers as well. And I don't mean in the really cringy social media influencer sense. I mean, well, I don't know, maybe. Um, that, that is what part of what cultural influence looks like today. But I just mean, who are the people who will open up social networks for the gospel? How can we think strategically? And let's look quickly at Lydia. Can we look at the next slide? So, if you remember when Paul shows up at Philippi, so this is Acts 16, he finds this woman named Lydia. And it's so fascinating to me that this is who Luke highlights out of this whole sort of founding church narrative. She's a God-fearer, um, so she is a Gentile, but very connected into the Jewish faith, very interested. So there's a lot of common ground with Paul. She's a householder. She leads an oikos, a, 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 an ancient household. And it's fascinating how it highlights that her and her whole household are baptized. Now, there's a lot about social networks and how they work in the ancient world, but that's really significant. Her social status provides the ideal base for outreach. Her reputation and influence in the community provide Paul's social credibility. If you remember, she's a dealer of purple cloth, which would have been a very wealthy uh, uh, um, uh, career, a very wealthy um, job. And, um, and her means, uh, her wealth provides a financial base for outreach. Her house provides a physical base for mission and a home for the new church. It emphasizes both uh, at the time that she is saved, but also at the very end of that journey, if you remember after the... Um, the, the, the jailer, and they're imprisoned. They go back to her home to strengthen the church that's there in Lydia's house. So this is very practical in one sense. If you're coming to a new city, you need a gateway in. You need a place to reach into. Lydia opens up a whole network of relationships. She has a house because you need a place both to stay for hospitality, but also to host um, the church that's there. Um, her wealth is a means because they go, you know, sort of needing to be supported as they go. So I guess I just wanted to say, who are the Lydia's who are hungry, who are open, who are receptive, and who also can open up social networks within York? And, and what kind of social networks are you connected to? And who are those gatekeepers? Um, of course, we love and we care for um, the poor and the broken, but Acts asks us to think strategically about our mission and about what God has called us to. Can we have the next slide? And a really key thing um, that also I just felt to emphasize to you, which is another theme throughout Acts, is the theme of hospitality. One of the best ways that you can be missional is to be hospitable. In fact, I think um, people always ask me, like, you know, what's the New Testament theme that the church misses today? And it's interesting, one of the things that I think we miss is the pervasive theme of hospitality. 
If you read the New Testament, it's everywhere. And one of the reasons we miss it is because we live in a very individualized, very kind of, you know, this is me and this is my world kind of culture. But, but hospi- and so hospitality and these hospitality practices are, are foreign to us in some ways. And yet, it really is fundamental to how the church grows. And I was just thinking, with this week being the Queen's Jubilee, it's a great chance to engage with your neighbors, to engage with your neighborhood, maybe to host a party, and maybe some of you are uh, planning on hosting things. Um, um, it's a great chance to go and be on, on your street and uh, with people around you, and maybe to have people into your home or into your garden. Um, it's, it's, I, I really think if we're asking, God, how do you want to use me missionally? Think about hospitality as a way in. And um, it's one of the big themes that, uh, 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 and, and social networks as well. And one thing that I like to do is just think about almost like drawing a network map. Who are the people who are in this church? What networks are you connected to? And I don't just mean, you know, Facebook and Twitter. I mean, like, what are, you know, your hobbies? What are the, the I don't know, the gym that you go to, the, the sport that you're involved in, the social um, a- uh, aspects? Those are things that God wants to use missionally. And um, in every area and aspect of, uh, of the culture of this city. And I think it's going to be important. And is, do we have one more slide? Yeah, think in terms of networks. Um, the Greek word for this is oikos. And, and, and that literally means house or household. But what, what's hard for us to understand is that a household in the ancient word is a, world is a huge network. Not just the immediate family, but the extended family, business associates, uh, slaves, um, wider connections. There's a huge network going on here. And I think we really need to think strategically about our own mission. And this is something that Paul seems to become a master of as he, in Acts, is he finds gateways into new networks through people of influence and peace and sees the Gospel flourishing and sees churches planted. And so family, business, hobbies, interests, sports, schooling, geography, neighborhoods, friends, these are the kinds of things we need to be thinking about in terms of impact and influence with the Gospel. And um, um, it, it, it really does matter. And, and sorry, just one more random thought. Can we do the next slide? I also think Acts is giving us a huge permission to contextualize our message. Paul is, you know, an amazing preacher, but he adapts his preaching to his audience. He builds on what is familiar and authoritative to them. The results can be radically different, which invites uh, a, a freedom, and yet he's preaching about Jesus. So if you think about in the Jews in the synagogue, how, how does Paul build his message with Jews and in a synagogue? What, what do you think he does? What's his sort of starting point, launching point? Any ideas? Yeah. Why? Yeah, that's what they knew. That's what holds authority for them. That's what has meaning for them. Think about Athens in Acts 17. How does Paul build his message there? Anybody remember? Say again. The altar to the unknown God. Yeah, he sees this thing and 
Ya. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And he quotes some Hellenistic philosophers there. I mean, does, he doesn't even mention the Old Testament, which is kind of shocking, actually. But what, they wouldn't have cared. The, the point I want to make there, and you can, you can track it through all of his different preaching, we have permission to, to use language that connects with our audience. And guys, if you're trying to share the gospel and you're using words that just don't seem to be connecting, let's ask God to give us um, um, the language that people will respond to and the, the examples. And um, that doesn't mean the gospel message changes, but it just means we contextualize really well. Uh, for me, I feel like for the, the generation, that you know, the, the younger generation, it's words like, family, belonging, restoration, reconciliation, justice. I mean, these are very gospel words, but I don't know about you, but um, some of the words that, I, that I, I, I grew up learning how to use when presenting the gospel, just people just go completely blank when I, when I say them now. And so I think Acts is giving us permission to think creatively about how we talk about Jesus in the gospel. I could talk about that for a long time, but I'm just, those are just a few little nuggets. So let's move to our last thing now, which is, so it launches at Ephesus. Um, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, off they go. They make these three missionary journeys. I think they learn a lot along the way. I see a lot of development, even from journey to journey, in terms of how they approach it. And it culminates in the city of Ephesus. And there's a few things you need to know about that. One, Paul stays there for three years, which by Paul's standards is forever. Paul sometimes stays somewhere for two or three weeks. So he stays there for a long time. He has a massive transforming impact on the city's culture. And it's interesting, he focuses on training and ministry at the lecture hall of Tyrannus, which is this really interesting place. It says daily he is training and ministering and uh, equipping people. And uh, one time I was in this sort of debate, and um, I was talking about the transformation of cities and regions. And somebody said to me, you always talk about transformation, but I don't see that in Scripture. <laughs> and I thought for a minute, and I said, well, let's look at Ephesus in the book of Acts. Because I think it's one of our clearest examples where the actual culture of the city itself is transformed by this church, by this ministry there. So much so, uh, if you remember, so Acts 19, um, this, this daily sustained ministry uh, results in um, the, the, the burning of the magic scrolls as people repent for their sin. It results in the fundamental changing of the local economy because people stop buying the Artemis shrines and images, which causes a massive riot because their um, business model has been disrupted by this move of the Spirit in the city. There are all these hints of really radical transformation taking place in Ephesus. And so I do think Luke is speaking here about a church that has a, a, a vision for transformation of a whole city. And Ephesus is a really significant city in the ancient world. Um, could we have the next slide? 
a lot of this happens through signs and wonders. Um, this is the place where, you know, it says that um, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to those who were ill and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. So again, there is this sense of the supernatural breaking into the way that church and ministry happens in this city. And we have this really kind of awkward, funny story about the seven sons of Sceva. Do you remember that story? Um, Who are trying, they're so drawn to the sense of the power that they try to cast out spirits in the name of Jesus. You know, again, that's speaking to something of this uh, dynamic, transformational impact that's happening there. But this is really important. It isn't just confined to Ephesus. These signs and wonders have a confirmatory role. They are validating the gospel message. They are convincing people. Because, of course, if you can convince someone to follow Jesus, someone can convince them not to. But if people have a personal encounter with the love of God for themselves, if people experience a miracle or even just a profound sense of God's presence, it goes beyond the cognitive, the rational, and it goes to their hearts. And you know, I think in Ephesus, this is a lot of what's fueling the city transformation is signs and wonders that are drawing people to Christ because they see the truth of the message and they encounter the person of Jesus through this radical ministry that's happening. And it's not just confined to Ephesus. Next slide. Um, It's crazy what Luke says about the ministry here. He says it had such a massive transforming impact in Ephesus that it spread across the region of Asia. In verse 10 it says, all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now that's a crazy statement. Asia is basically most of modern-day Turkey. It's a huge area. Ephesus is the capital city of the region of Asia. And then again in verse 20, so after describing some more of the signs and wonders, Luke says, in this way the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So how is it that something that's happening in one city can impact a whole region? How does that work it's, it's interesting. I, I think it's implying a geographical missional strategy here involving sending church planners out from Ephesus to other hub cities in the region of Asia. And could we see the next slide? Um, there is, we have a hint of this. Um, I, I'm just going to try to quickly recreate this. So Colossae is one of the other key regional areas. And um, um, Epaphras is a guy who Paul talks about in the book of Colossians, chapter 1 and chapter 4. You can see the references there, but I wanted to just read you uh, quickly um, what he says about Epaphras in chapter 4 because it's quite cool. He says, um, um, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greeting. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Paul also says in the book of Colossians that he's never been there. Paul didn't plant the church at Colossae. I don't know if you knew that or not. It seems that Epaphras did. And not only that, but he's planting into some other regional cities around there. 
We have lots of evidence that Asia is one of the earliest, um, you know, reached areas uh, in the first century with the gospel. So I think that, again, we have a picture here, something for you as a, as a church to, to be challenged by, to be encouraged by. Something about transformation of a city and something about such a profound transformation that it has a reverberating impact throughout a whole Asia. And, you know, it's uh, the whole region, in that case, Asia. Asia. And... Um, I think, I think this is a new season, and I'll just end sort of, and I, I would just want to pray this for you in just a minute. Um, I think coming out of the weird world of COVID and online church and all that's been happening there, um, I feel that the Holy Spirit is challenging you to, to, to dream big and to think big again about church planting, about sending, about creating this cauldron of uh, uh, devotion to the presence of God, and also about transforming your city. And so there's something about the Antioch and the Ephesus and these stories of these churches that God has uh, for you to encourage and to uh, uh, provoke you in your calling as a church. And um, I wonder if I could just, Alan, quickly pray pray that for you and then... Um, um, it, it will be, you know, for, for you to continue to respond and, and think about that. But let's just pray together. Uh, Lord, we thank you for these, these vivid stories, and we thank you for the exciting and challenging realities that we see in them. Thank you for the story of Antioch and for this cauldron of spiritual fervency that leads to the sending of people out on mission. And I want to pray that York City Church would, would, would be a church like that. And um, I want to pray that you would lead this church as it, as it comes back together again into that sense of your presence and also into that profound sense of hearing the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit speaks. Set apart for me and I also pray for this story of Ephesus, Lord, this vision for city transformation. And this vision for something that will reverberate beyond even just the city of York, throughout Yorkshire, and even beyond that. And Lord, we pray, God, let us dream big again with You and see, Holy Spirit, what You're doing. And then I want to pray for each one of us here in our own mission, in our own sense of calling, in our own neighborhoods, our social networks, the people that You are calling us to. Lord, would You show us what it means to engage anew and afresh with that. With the uh, people of influence, with the hospitality, with the sense of faith that You are moving in the lives of the people who we know. And we thank you for the inspiration and the challenge of these stories from the book of Acts. Be with us as we, as we live this stuff out, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>